Hello and welcome to another episode of No Offense with Matt Shepard, one fan's review of the Nothing Personal with David Sampson podcast. Alright, let's get into it. On Monday, the topic that I wanted to review of David's was the story of the Boston Athletic Association banning 63 individuals from Belarus and Russia from running in the upcoming Boston Marathon. David's opinion was, how is this... How is it you blame citizens for what the government is doing when the government is not democratically elected? That was really his main point that I that I took from it. Now, while that is true that in Russia, you know, this government in Putin is not democratically elected, and is blaming the citizens of that, regardless of the fact that there are citizens who are fighting the Putin regime internally and they're facing a huge cost. Uh, because, you know, to speak out against Putin is facing jail, death, you name it. There are also those who are, I don't want to say necessarily pro-war, but they're pro-Russia, and they support Russia, and and then there are those who are pro-war, for that matter. And supposedly now we're finding that there are even Russians who are egging on family members who are Russian soldiers to commit crimes in Ukraine. Now again, this is all, the war is changing fluidly, but that's what we have. So we have in Russia, you know, the the gamut of war sympathizers, war promoters, war resistors. You know, we have we have everything, and that's why you know I think this is no way such a black and white issue of David's thing of you know you, you don't blame the citizens because of this. And I'm going to get into a little bit more on that. You know, I don't support. I don't support boycotting companies that are still in Russia who are providing essentials to the Russian citizenry. There are people who do, and like I support boycotting McDonald's and all these companies if they were to have chosen to stay, putting pressure on Coca-Cola. They can live without Coca-Cola. It's not rotting their teeth now. (laughs) One less thing they have to, to do that. But I don't agree with hurting the average citizen. They don't deserve to be without baby supplies or medicine. Like we see companies with, I believe it was Pfizer, was put pressure and they said, if we leave, who will provide their medicine? And and that's where I, I think Dave and I would definitely agree on is is it doesn't make sense to do that. But those who have power, and that's really anybody with money, deserve to face hardships. And frankly, I'm willing to go out on a limb and say 63 runners from Belarus and Russia are not poor. The average Russian could never even think of a trip like that, let alone even the average American or Canadian, you know, couldn't afford a trip to just run a marathon. I mean, the only people that I know personally who f- fly to countries and run races, you know, that I've had interactions with are wealthy individuals. So, banning wealthy individuals, to me, of not getting to run a race is almost a crimey river circumstance. You know, again, like I said, hurting everyday citizens is something I'll never condone. We, we can't really sort out who is pro and anti-war and who's with us and who's against us and that's that's a dangerous path to go down which is why the average Russian is not getting sanctioned we're not freezing every Russian's bank accounts we're freezing wealthy individuals that's why there are still things that are being imported to Russia necessities we're not shutting down like that we're not here to kill individual Russian citizens but 63 runners let the British the Boston uh, Athletic Association banned them. You know, I understand his stance, you know, that we could also have a moment of silence, you know, or put a patch of the Ukrainian flag on all the runners' bibs. I, I get that. You know, he talks about how the colors are of the Ukrainian flag. I understand that. But I 
don't really see how this is such a big problem of 63, again, most likely wealthy individuals who are just unable to run a marathon. There are people, you know, so I think some people should have hardships when your country and country in terms of Belarus is supporting Russia, when they're fighting, waging a war in a neighboring country whose citizens are therefore living in hell. You know, I, I think this I think that, you know, face some hardships. You know, and even even if these people aren't, well, maybe maybe you'll think twice about supporting. Maybe you'll start to be that dissent. Maybe you'll be that voice to say when your family member or friends are all pro Putin or uh pro Lukashenko pro Lukashenko in Belarus. Maybe you'll you'll start thinking, well this is now affecting me. I think it's it's a little bit of a price to pay. If it was if you were banning average Russians from medical treatments, I wouldn't agree with that. But 63 people from running? It's, that's Crimea River. I mean, world's smallest violin situation here. And I also want to address his comparisons to this and to Trump and his anti-Asian rhetoric. You know, and, and, and he, you know, should Americans have faced similar things? You know, he's an American. Should he have been sanctioned? And my answer is no. The reason why is this was not state-sanctioned. And what I mean by that, if you're listening, is the war in Russia is run by the state. People support the states. This is the state. If Putin was sitting there saying things about Ukraine, even if it led to Russians having a negative view on Ukrainians and a few examples of extreme violence happening, while deplorable, and I think it should be addressed, I'm not going to go to the ends of the earth to punish Russia in any way, shape, or form. Nor would I be doing this over Trump. While yes, it was deplorable what he said, and yes, it led to unacceptable violence against the Asian community, and I think that's something that has been brushed under the rug. I think intentionally and unintentionally, I'm not going to get into it too much. That's another podcast for another day. Uh, I do think, though, that it has kind of gone unnoticed and unspoken of, not, uh, not covered, I was going to say uncovered. It's been, it's been ignored, is really what I'm trying to say, uh, of this by and large. But the difference is, is that it wasn't state-sanctioned. Now, it would be a completely different avenue if Trump waged a war against China over this, what he called the China virus or if Trump brought back the internment camps for Asian Americans and said, you're Asian, you're spreading it, go in the camp, then yeah, Americans should have been sanctioned. 100%. Except he didn't. He did something deplorable, which is why, you know, he didn't deserve to be in the presidency in the first place, that's neither here nor there now, but he definitely did not deserve a second term for things like this. But it's not enough to sanction because countries have issues with leaders all the time. The difference is Russia made it international and it's state sanctioned. If a few people from Russia went into Ukraine and started beating up Ukrainians, yeah, this is what Putin said, we support them. Addressed, yes, but not sanctions. But if Russia starts rounding up Ukrainians for being Ukrainians, yes, sanctions. Yes, these things should happen. So, 
I understand where David got the idea for the Trump, and, and it does make sense to a degree, but it is kind of apples to oranges, I think, in this situation. Uh, if Putin was just saying things and not doing anything, if we're not facing a war, then I think yes. I think sanctions would be an over overreach. Same way punishing Americans, even, even Americans who voted for Trump, is an overreach. Uh, you know, you, you vote for someone and then they do something else, maybe they don't agree with it all. So I, I, I would never agree with going after every average everyday Americans who voted for Trump. Unless you commit a crime, we don't go after you. But when it's the state, when the state does something, when there's internment camps, when there's a war with China solely over this virus, when he's bombing Wuhan because of this, yeah, sanctions. Yeah, 100%. You have people have access to the president, snap him out of it. Deal with it. Help help stop it. So no, I, I have no problem with the Boston Athletic Association banning 63 Russians and Belarusians from running in the Boston Marathon. I have no problem with that at all. You know, this is not average everyday citizens. We're not stopping them from 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 food and, and sustenance and, and caring for their children. We're not stopping medicine. We're stopping a leisurely holiday. You you can deal with that. You can you can put up with it. So Tuesday we got to talk about through a so you want to talk to Samson segment on the Jazz Chisholm Jr. Twitter incident. Uh, he Chisholm had been kept out of the lineup from a Marlins game after having quite a good game where he got a home run, and he retweeted various fans' tweets of their displeasure from not having him being in the lineup. So we get a good background on what happens in this situation from the idea of, from the side of the front office in baseball. David spoke of Don Mattingly, the manager, you know, would be in constant communication with players or is in constant communication with players over the lineup and he has a plan for the season for players for the lineup and that this is, you know, this is communicated, you know, and, and he talks about how Jazz is a new player who hasn't earned himself the automatic start. You know, and I agree with this. You know, Don is a veteran, and Jazz is still learning to walk realistically in his baseball career. He's a great player, don't get me wrong. Uh, I'm not a huge Miami Marlins fan, but I have heard the name. I do know the player. So he is, as David says, he is going to play throughout the season. And I think he's right. Uh, but he hasn't earned this automatic start every single game. You know, that is something you have to earn, and I think you want your players to earn it. You don't want it to just be an automatic thing, because that's how egos happen, and seasons get derailed. So, I really, I really agree with that. And he spoke of, in covering the, in covering the section of how Don would handle it, we learned something really interesting. Uh, we learned that all teams have people scrubbing social media for what players are doing and replying and retweeting. And of course, they're giving all this information back to the team. And I have to say, what an interesting and boring job at the same time, following players, and I'm sure staff and others, on Twitter, and having to report on it. Interesting, but boring. I, I don't know how I'd feel about having to do that job. And so it was really interesting getting that background of how he would approach it. You know, he, he had Don Mattingly as his manager when he was, in the last couple of years, as the Marlins president. 
So we get a nice little thing. I'm not going to recant it. David does a much better job than I do. But what I am going to do is I am going to talk about how he, as a president, would have let Don handle it. Not because, in his eyes, you know, Don Mattingly has earned it, being this great manager, but also that as a president, he would only want to get involved when it is serious enough so that players know, okay, he's no longer chit-chatting with me, as David put it, and now this is serious. i got to pay attention. I can't screw up. And I agree with that. I agree 100%. You know, and I even go so far to me, I think regardless who the manager is, I agree with letting them deal with it. Not just because of what David talked about, wanting to be serious. You know, he did talk about, oh, you know, making sure Don would cover it, which, yes, he would. But I also think that, again, yes, if the president is getting involved with every little thing, how do you know what's serious and what is not? But I also think that presidents and GMs who get involved with this type of stuff are micromanaging, which I think is another problem. You know, when you take the power away from your manager or coach, I think you fracture the clubhouse or locker room, you know. The day-to-day stuff is with the manager. Now, obviously, if Jazz is going to start tweeting and retweeting all the time, then maybe you do need to get involved, even if it is minor, because minor things become big, especially if there's a pattern. But that's not what we're talking about. But I do think, you know, if you're if you're usurping the power of what a manager does in this situation and saying, no, Don, just sit down and let me talk, that's, that's a problem, because then the players look at it and go, does this manager not have power? Who is he? Why should I respect him? That's a problem. You know, and and presidents and GMs, the coach then hates you. So you have a manager. So, for example, say David was the president. He micromanages Don Mattingly. Is Don going to double-guess his decisions? That's a problem, because now he's not thinking. He's thinking in the vein of, well, what would David say to me? Is David going to scold me? But also the fact of, what if he starts to resent you? You have enough reasons... I'm sure, as a president of a Miami Marlins or any team, to have animosity between the coach or the manager and yourself. Why do you need to add more? And then throw in the fact that the players are seeing this, that you're coming in on every little thing and undercutting the manager. That's not a good thing. That That's not. Yes, definitely are, there are situations, as David said, that you do need to go in. But the manager leads it, and you go from there. I mean, if my manager at work got undercut on every little thing I wouldn't go to them on any issue I'd go right to the person who's undercutting them so realistically why is my manager there and that's in regular office space imagine a a, a locker room and the consequences that would have and especially managers seeing that and you're paying this person millions I mean that's that is to me not a situation you want to be in and I think we've seen presidents and GMs who micromanage they don't really have a success of having a good balanced front office nor having success in general uh, very rarely do we hear micromanagement and t- good team results in the same sentence one of the things David did mention was is this a big deal and he talked about or I said, he didn't mention it's a big deal he just kind of finished off with you know what does this mean or I guess what does it mean or are GMs and others watching that's the best way to yes as I'll put it, and his exam- his thing was, yes, all the GMs are watching it, and I think I agree with that 100%. You know, he talked about how they want players to be flashy, to prove themselves, to be, you know, flipping the bat, all of this stuff, but doing that on the field. They want this 
on the field performance and, and who wouldn't you want players who have personality makes their job easier David talks about this and then you know marketing for the Marlins all the time but what they don't want and I agree is you don't want whining on Twitter and this is something I can I agree with 100% this is that whole keeping things in-house that David has spoken about as well in the past you know you can't air the dirty laundry outside you betray the trust of the clubhouse you, you have a fractured clubhouse I mean anybody remember Nick Young L.A. Lakers didn't end well for him, so I, I agree with that. You want to stay away from the social media and uh, and all that. I think uh, I don't think this is gonna this is not gonna hurt Jazz at all or his career. But if it becomes a pattern, I do think it will hurt his career. I think if it's something that this has to be addressed again, it's not gonna look good for him at all. Okay, so Wednesday we get yet again more Dan Snyder news. This is. I almost wonder if I should rename my podcast something to do with Dan Snyder and the Washington Commanders. Can't be too obvious for lots of capabilities. I'm sure Dad would love to sue me, even though I'm nothing compared to that team in terms of audience. But, uh, yeah, we have Dan Snyder yet again. I mean, this is. <laughs> David talked about again, and even I'm saying it, not in the sense of covering it again, because you want to cover it, but. Dad, come on, really? Just sell the team and move on, bud. You're you're looking bad here. So anyways, uh, we have not really a new controversy, I guess more information on the latest controversy. That whole thing I covered last week's episode, David covered, not this week past, but the week before, uh, of the two books, potential, of the withholding revenue to the NFL, potentially. And so the congressional uh, committee or whatever level it is, that is doing all this investigation of the workplace harassment that found all of this, uh, is now reaching out and putting the ball in the court of the FTC to investigate Snyder and the commanders for their revenue sharing. So more specifically, they stated that they say they found, again supposedly with the commanders, that revenue was being withheld, that it was being sold as things not from the NFL. So it was, I think it was like Army-Navy game or something like that, a concert, these types of events. And so it was out of that 40% revenue sharing that David talked about, and I talked about on my last episode. Uh, you can listen again, David does a great job of this. So we, we have that, that they were actually doing this, classifying it and saying, oh yeah, that's that's from, that's from such and such a concert, so no, it doesn't count. Uh, it's not money we have to share. But they also had the issue of their refund policy and how it is potentially breaking the law. David did a great breakdown on this, so I'm not going to cover this here. I'm not word-for-word reviewing every episode, just kind of a a general overview. You know, if you want the word-for-word, you listen to Nothing Personal. Great podcast. But he... Does he does give a great little overview of it, and he states, you know, that companies have to make it easy to get a refund. You can't make it obscenely difficult. You know, you can't make procedures that are ridiculous or overly hard or complicated, so that people give up. That you have to have a straightforward refund policy. And turns out the commanders did not. They had an extremely difficult policy that had a lot of people just walk away from ever getting refunds and so they get to keep people's money which is illegal because it's breaking the rules. And so 
I've covered these topics over Dan Snyder, so I'm not going to cover 100%. I just kind of want to draw light to that. If you're listening to my podcast, you really want to listen to to David on this topic and the previous episodes. I just found Wednesday kind of stuck out that we have yet again Dan Snyder, and this one is more evidence uh, of this. Now it's maybe not just somebody saying it, that we now actually have proof that Dan was doing this, and that's not good. And so I think now... David has finished pretty much every time he talks about Dan and the new controversy, and they seem to be getting worse each time. Well, I should, well, getting worse in the sense of having to sell the team. And sadly, it's not getting worse from sexual harassment and misconduct. Those, as we've seen, don't make you sell your team. Sadly. They should. When you run a horrible organization, it should have you run the team. should have you lose the team, but it doesn't. But stealing from the NFL owners potentially does. And now that we have some more details and some more insider, not say insider, but actual potential proof, this isn't just a hearsay. There's actually saying people now are saying, well, we here we have examples that need to be investigated to see are these examples actually what we think they are. You know, it's not just we think it is. Well, we've got XYZ listed. Now let's look into it. And so I do think, you know, that 100% Dan is going to have to sell. David is right. Uh, It's something new every single day. And it's just getting worse and worse and worse. I mean, the next step is criminal charges on some of this stuff. So, I mean, I I wonder if the NFL is waiting for that. Maybe waiting to see, does the government do our bidding for us? Do they arrest Snyder and others? Does that kind of solve it? And then which allows the NFL to just help them, push them along to sell the team. Maybe they'll be forced by the government to sell. Maybe the NFL gets to keep its hands out of it and not have to pull an NBA with Donald Sterling. But I do think the NFL, you know, David is right, the NFL is going to have to investigate. You know, Congress can do their thing, but the NFL is also going to have to investigate. And I mean, I think in my opinion, even if this, you know, even if I think for the NFL, it's not necessarily going to be prove it, you know, he he's, they're not even going to have to look and see proof that he did, they're going to look for, he's going to have to prove that he didn't, where he's worn out his welcome so quickly and so many times, it's not going to be the NFL having to look through and prove, oh, Dan, we have the proof here, he's going to have to prove, well, no, I didn't, and I think that's going to be very hard to do for him to the eyes of the NFL, if there's any hint, if there's any question that this could have happened, I think that is 100% going to allow the NFL to force them to sell if the government doesn't step in on their own. You know, I I do. The more and more stuff that comes out, and who knows what next week is going to hold, uh, you know, Dan Snyder's days, they are 100% numbered. So Thursday was a bombshell story, and that was Tom Brady. So the story is out. There supposedly was a plan for Tom Brady to join the Dolphins as the team president uh, this season, and to become a minority owner, and Sean Payton going as the head coach. And so there was also the rumors that he was also going to potentially be the quarterback of the team. Except Stephen Ross and Brady and Payton were all derailed by the Brian Flores lawsuit, forcing Ross to hire a black head coach because he could not hire a white president and a white head coach. You know, David does bring this up, and I agree with it. 
But I gotta say, I could not get over the story. I had no idea that Brady going to Manchester was really to get Bruce Arians out of the role of coach. If, you know, for him to return to the Bucks. I mean, I'd heard that they didn't get along, but I did not think it was this level. You know, I, I had no idea this was all going on. It kind of makes sense now when you see I didn't retire. Just not ready for the commitment. You know, they're not thanking the Patriots. Well, of course, he's going to the Dolphins. How am I supposed to say thank you to the to the Patriots and then go to a division rival? I mean, it's all kind of making sense now. Uh, and it's fascinating. You know, word is Brady was going to, quote-unquote, retire and join the Dolphins in the front office. But when the season got underway and the Bucks get a new quarterback, Ross and the Dolphins were supposedly going to go and do a trade for a ham sandwich, I guess, to get Brady's rights now that he was no longer playing. And then Brady was magically going to be the quarterback for the Dolphins with that new high-powered offense. And, I mean, that's if that's true, that's insane. <laughs> that's crazy. And, I mean, I, I kind of buy it considering Ross is a major donor to the University of Michigan and Brady's a University of Michigan quarterback, so there is that connection. And Ross is definitely looking for something shiny to revitalize his team. And so I think it's true. And David does a great summation of the story, so again, I'm not going to go word for word, but, I mean, it's... wow. And... Imagine that all this with the Dolphins, imagine the unluck of the Miami Dolphins, that it was all undone by Brian Flores and his lawsuit. I mean, imagine what the Dolphins would look like with their offensive talent and their new wide receivers. Imagine the damage Brady would have done to that division with those wide receivers and potentially Gronk joining him. I mean, I think Gronk would have joined him there. Which, I'm going to take a bit from... Dan Levitard show and definitely do reckless speculation on this. But I do kind of wonder, the conspiracy theorist in me, and I want to fully say it, it's not based in fact whatsoever, but was Bill Belichick's text to Brian Flores really an accident? I mean, Belichick's got people everywhere, and something like this, at the highest level, while we the fans wouldn't know, management knows, management talks gets to a head coach, I mean, an owner to a GM to a head coach, or head coach to a GM, I mean, not unheard of, that something like this would not gotten out, and might have this been Belichick's way of maybe putting a kibosh on it and keeping Brady from playing him twice a year and embarrassing him twice a year. I, again, not saying it's how it happened, I'm just saying it's a possibility in my mind. I don't know how what you want to take with that, but I, I do kind of I do kind of think that could there be a little bit of that going on? I do think it's... something might be there. Uh, you know, I mean, it's one thing for the playoffs. The Bucks versus the Patriots chance, that's one thing. But it's a completely different thing for Brady to be in the same division. Again, no proof of it, but I mean, what a great storyline would that have been? I mean... How insane would the NFL storylines have been for next season? Even Brady in the front office of the Dolphins. Brady being the quarterback and it's somehow in the front office of the Dolphins. Beating down the Patriots twice a year and then making the Super Bowl. I mean, that would have been that would have been a Chiefs-Dolphins AFC Championship game, 100%. And imagine the storyline, Tyreek Hill, either, I don't know, would have been either in Kansas or Miami. 
would have been great if it was in Kansas. I mean, imagine Tyreek Hill going back to Kansas with Tom Brady. What a game that would have been. What a game that would have been. Oh, if only we as fans can only wish that it would have happened. But, as the rumor mill is continuing, you know, no one on, no one on any of the sides are talking. Nobody is. Which, not confirming it, not denying it, that's to be expected. It really is. But supposedly they're saying Brady's deal is up, and if he's not extended, that could be a sign that this is going to happen next year. I mean, Brady does talk about it. he wants to play forever. I mean, all these wide receivers are young for the Dolphins, so it'd be nothing. And Tua, he's not enough for me to to not take Brady for a year. And even if you say to Tua, he's, he's sit for a year and watch as the greatest of all time plays. I do think that that is definitely a possibility. I do think this soap opera-esque situation is by no means done. I mean, Sean Payton has said, I'm open to returning. What does that say? I do kind of think, you know, especially if this new coach doesn't do anything, it makes it easier to fire him after a year. Uh, you know, I think that could be a little bit of difficult, but you never know. But I do think this story is, is by no means done. Not for this season, certainly not for next season. So Friday, I am going to cover two topics from that day. Uh, the first is the Chelsea sale and the Ricketts family backing out. So David, one of the things David talked about was, you know, when you're doing a sale like this, you're obviously doing your due diligence, you're kicking the tires, and so if you're going to back out, you have to have a reason. Uh, but he wasn't expecting this much reasoning from him. You know, oh, it's just not right or whatever, we move on. But Ricketts came out and talked about the unusual dynamics around the sales process. So we have to get a bit of translation from David, and he gives us. He refers again to reps and warranties whenever you have to sell something. And so if you listen to my podcast last week and listen to uh, two weeks ago, he talks about, again, reps and warranties. I'm not going to cover it word for word. Basically, it's what you do. You sign these reps and warranties as the seller, saying what I'm giving you is true and accurate. And so what David talked about, and I agree with this completely, is that with four prospective buyers, Obramovich would, in David minds, David's mind, make these reps and warranties as wide and as broad as he can. In his words, David's words, take a water bottle and pour it all over the reps and warranties and water them down, which 100% makes sense when you have multiple bidders on anything. It becomes a situation of the highest bidder and take it or leave it circumstances, the buyer beware. It was a caveat emptor. Uh, I'm sure I'm butchering that. And, I mean, it makes sense. You know, as the seller, why wouldn't you do this? You know, why would Abramovich want to potentially open himself up to lawsuits or issues after the sale when people get in on the books if you have a narrow reps and warranties that allow them to come back at you for anything? I mean, you don't want to have to give up billions or hundreds of millions in, in a court. So you tell them you get what you get is what you get. There's no guarantees. You know, it is what it is. It's what I tell you it is. I'm not guaranteeing anything. There's four of you. Fight amongst yourselves. I mean, it's it's the same thing. When you have one buyer, you work with them. It's like selling a house. If the buyer, if the only person you have, I want an inspection, I want this, I want that, I want you to cover this, I want you to... You're going to be far more open to doing these things versus 15 people, 
all putting in an offer. You're going to say they all want an inspection. First person who says no inspection, maybe you know there's things wrong. Maybe it is a buyer beware, and you know that, and you don't want to be liable. You know, where you think, hmm, I don't know what they might find. Actually, yeah, I think that's more like it is. You, you might think, I don't know, it's an older house, they might find stuff. Yeah, let's not do this. So, no inspection. I mean, you as the seller, you have all the power. And so, of course, Roman Abramovich is going to do this. I mean, I'm not faulting him at all. I mean, that's smart business. He doesn't get to be a billionaire being a, a fool. And so, I also make sense that the Ricketts would walk away from the situation. I mean, you don't want to have somebody on a multi, was it $4 billion, he's asking? You don't want to buy something on this buyer beware. <laughs> I mean, what, you, you walk into the situation, open up the books, and go, Oh. My. God. We are going to have to sink another billion, two, three, who knows more, into this to make it viable. Or find out that we're leaking money. We're going to have to put a stop to it. I mean, you don't know what you'll find. So I agree. You walk away. If it's going to be a buyer-beware situation on a multi-billion dollar deal you walk away. And of course, as David mentions, you know, what level is Abramovich going to have in the sale? I mean, he's banned from the UK. He's doing this in his supposed net proceeds. Again, listen to David's podcast on that. But there's also the potential for the British government to be getting involved because of Abramovich and the sanctions and the war in Russia and in Ukraine. You know, so I think it's 100% smart for the Ricketts to walk away. And to be frankly, I think the other three buyers should walk away. Let it go. Unless you're... Unless you're Bill Gates and you don't mind billions upon billions upon billions being sunk into this and it being a nightmare, walk away. If you're a consortium getting the money together, walk away. This is not a good situation between the sanctions, Bramovich, most likely, as David says watering down the reps and warranties, you having a lot of buyer beware situation going on, walk away. It's not worth it. Because what if the, what if the you British government does get involved and it makes it messier, it makes it longer? Who knows what'll happen? So no, I think this is one of those ones, it's too toxic. The next story from Friday that I do want to cover is the story of the Tom Brady suppo- final touchdown ball and the fact that the sale was recently voided. So that was supposedly Tom Brady's final touchdown ball from last season that was sold for 518000 and then the next day, Brady on retired. So, of course, not going to be the final touchdown ball. Not by a long shot. Brady is getting at least one touchdown. More like 20 or 30. Anyways, Dave's opinion is horse hockey. And I gotta say, guys and girls, men and women, listeners, I couldn't disagree more. This story, I didn't disagree, I didn't agree with David and his British Athletics Association on the Monday's, last Monday's episode. I definitely do not agree on this one. It is not. I agree that the sale should have been voided. David went on to talk about, you know, he gave examples of like, well, what if Brady on retired years later? Would you get your money back? But he didn't retire years later. He retired and unretired the next day. You know, David spoke about, you know, the only thing with memorabilia you get when you buy it is authenticity. And, he, you know, he speaks of his own memorabilia of having a signed piece of paper 
with what was at the time all of the 500 club of home run hitters, so 500 home run hitters. And that at the time it was complete, but that list has since grown. So should David get his money back? And he also went into, uh, you know, art and buying art. You have to do your homework. You know, was this the last Picasso or was it painted by the seller's granddaughter? You know, and I want to address all of that of why none of those scenarios, in my opinion, fit this. How it's not only apples to oranges, it's Chevy's, Chevy, Chevrolet's and Ford's to oranges, to apples. It's not even in the same universe. First of all, in art, yes, I agree, you do have to do your homework. But if somebody's selling a forgery, if we're going to get into that, you know, if you find out that it's painted by the seller's granddaughter, did they know? Yeah, like buying anything. I buy a used car. If I don't do my homework and I get it brought in to do some servicing and they're saying, oh, geez, this thing's been an accident, you need to put 15000 that seller doesn't have to tell me if I don't ask the question. They don't have to tell me. But if I ask the seller, has this car been an accident? Is this Picasso real? And that seller goes, yeah. And then find out that he knew all along that his granddaughter in art school painted it. Well, that's illegal. I'm getting my money back. So I don't really see the art tying to this. I get where he was going with it, but I don't agree. It's, it doesn't fit the situation. As for the signatures David has, you know, they were always going to be made obsolete. Something like that is going to be obsolete. But the signatures that are there are still worth something. You know, he can no longer sell it as a complete list, but you can sell it as a list of signatures. It's completely different from the retirement. I get a list of, say, the top 10 touchdown passers in the NFL right now. You know, Brady, Manning, Breeze, all that. That list is going to change. So I can sell it. I can, if I got all the top 10 now, I can sell it today as the top 10 of all time touchdown passers next season if that list was to change and a new name was to bump someone down I couldn't sell it as a complete list I could sell it as whatever remaining numbers were there plus a few others but I can still sell it for for the list of players that are still on it and that you have to know that if you're getting signed something from a current player if I get a signed piece from Clayton Kershaw right now you know uh, I know that this, he's going to continue playing this season, so I can sell it to a degree on on all of this. But it's not the retirement ball, and that's what we're discussing here. So the list, I don't really see David's thing of the signatures because it's two completely different, different, different things. I mean, it, it's not the same. And then he talks about the aspect of, well, what if Brady unretired three years down the road? And yeah, that's true. If I bought that ball, Brady could unretire at the end of... We all thought he was retired. Coming back three years from now, ten years from now, fifteen years from now, it's it's the same. It's it's fine. It's, it's, it's different. Brady unretired the next day. <laughs> you sold it on, what was it, like a Monday or Tuesday, and on Wednesday or whatever it was, Brady unretired. I mean, they had to void the sale. I mean, if not... Who would ever buy the last of anything, of any athlete, unless, grimly, they die? I mean, hence why 
artists' paintings go through the roof after they're dead. There's no more. And as grotesque as that is, it's true. So, I mean, who would ever buy the last of something unless the player or person is dead? I mean, it would kill the memorabilia market 100% if they didn't do it. People would have hesitation of buying the last home run ball or the last strike ever thrown or the last basket ever made of LeBron James or the last goal scored by Austin Matthews or touchdown thrown of Brady if the player will unretire. I mean, they'll buy it, but they'll say, yeah, I'll buy the last strike ball Clayton Kershaw ever threw. I'll buy it for a dollar. Because who says he doesn't come back next season? We don't know that he doesn't. He says he wanted to play longer, now he's changed his mind. I'm not spending a million five on that. No way, Jose. I mean, yes, players who are long since retired, I mean, Sandy Koufax and others, they're not pitching again. But Tom Brady unretiring is something no one really saw coming. And so, if you don't want that market to collapse, you have to. You have to avoid that sale and keep people's keep people's confidence in that that if the player decides this so quickly I'm done maybe if he decided next year that sale's not getting voided because you had a year with it but not even a day you void the sale I mean it's the same thing like when you look at it I think better comparison and I think what makes me right and I'm, I'm actually saying that now is I'm right David's wrong is and I'd love to debate him on this and actually I'd love to debate him on the the Boston Athletic Association I digress is with baseball, hockey basketball and football all four leagues have what's called jersey assurance and that's A-S-S-U-R-A-N-C-E not insurance, assurance and that is if the player is traded or leaves the team within 90 days you can get a replacement jersey there is a time so you do have a time limit, 90 days. Same thing of if Brady on retired three years from now, that ball doesn't get, that sale went through, tough luck. You spent 518000 and Brady came back. End of next season. He's back for 2023. Uh, hell, if he came back in September, if, if he the day before the league started, he came back, I'm not voiding that sale. <laughs> no way. You had, what was it, all of... March, February, March, April, May, June, July, August. Yeah, it was done and dusted. Just because he changed his mind the day before the season started, or in August. No, no, I'm not voiding the sale. But the next day you do. Hence why these leagues have that 90-day policy. I mean, it's necessary because who wants to spend hundreds of dollars on a jersey if Shohei Otani is going to get traded to the Dodgers a week later? You can't wear your, your Angels Shohei Otani jersey, or Mike Trout, or you know, Alexander Ovechkin, who's ever going to buy a jersey? Well, you want me to spend two to $300 U.S. in some cases on a jersey and they can get traded tomorrow? No way. I'm not buying that. And so one of Pil Davis' pillars of making money, merchandise, sinks. Who wants to buy a shirt on a player? So you sell hats to the team. So that means, what's the point of signing a big-name player? You wanting to have jersey sales and t-shirt with their names on it, they're going to turn around and say, yeah, but he could ask to be moved tomorrow. And yeah, if you buy a jersey, if I bought a Shohei Otani jersey today, and Otani decides, or, you know, let's do a player in a contract, Mike Trout. If Mike Trout says, I'm fed up with the Angels, and demands a trade, 
at the end of this season because we know the Angels aren't going to make the playoffs. That's on me. But I had a year with a Mike Trout jersey. Doesn't matter about his contract, all that stuff, whatever. But if I buy a jersey and Mike Trout, before the season started, said, I want out, and I bought it the day before, damn right I want it. And yeah, three months is a long time. 90 days is what I agree with. Uh, I think it makes sense. So if they have it for jerseys, why wouldn't you have it for this situation? And yeah, it's the whole thing of 90 day, three years later, 10 years, 15, yeah, you would not void the sale. But Dave is making comparisons that just don't make sense in this, and I have to say it. It was the next day. Of course you void that sale. A week later? I might. A month later? Maybe. I don't know. It depends on how big this guy is in terms of business. Other factors. Six months later? No. No. Unless this guy does millions and tens of millions a year, and he's threatening to walk away. Then, then yeah. A year later? Three years later? Ten to fifteen years later, Brady on retires? No. I don't care if this guy does $20 million a year in business. If he's that foolish to come a year, three years, ten years, fifteen years later and want his money back, no. No. Nope. Because you got all that time of showing off to people Brady's last touchdown ball. And people ooing and eyeing that you were the one who got it. So no. But the next day, it's not even a question. I'm calling the buyer and saying, do you want us to void the sale? I'm not even thinking twice. Plain and simple, I'm calling the buyer in that situation. The next day, the week of, I'm I'm calling the buyer. After that, I am letting the buyer call me and seeing how he approaches me and, and other things. But yeah, the next day, not even a question. The minute Brady announces that retirement, that guy's getting a phone call. I'm not even letting him for one second. If he's willing to spend that much money in my auction house, I'm not for one second letting him think, even if the seller doesn't want to give the money back. I'm banning the seller, and I'm covering it out of my own company's pocket to keep it, keep the market afloat. Because you don't, you will kill the market for selling memorabilia, and that's not good. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of No Offense with Matt Shepard. Uh, Till next time, thanks for listening. Bye.